All right, take your Bibles tonight, please. Join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Where for several weeks now we have taken the time to discuss the command given in verse 1 for children to obey. So we have talked about the need for godly children, the need for obedience, then the need for correction, and then the need for consistency. And then last week we talked about willing obedience. Now, the goal is not to have obedient robots. But our goal is to have children who want to obey. Anything is possible with enough discipline. We talked about how you can beat somebody into submission. You you can make that happen. But do you have your child's heart? We want their heart to trust safely in us. And we want them to know how much we love them. Therefore, our relationship to our children ought to mirror God's relationship to us. How did God get your heart? Apply those principles to your children. We want their heart to know where we stand. Know that we have their best interest in mind. God, He gives us mercy which we don't deserve. And He's very gracious to us as well. Yes, He disciplines as necessary, but I know in my life, His mercy and His grace far outweigh the amount of discipline He's given me. I thank God for that, or else I'd be, it'd be bad. And I would encourage you to do the same for your children. Make mercy and grace a a staple in your child rearing. It's okay when a child makes a mistake. It's okay. It happens. It's okay for them to fail. It's okay for them to make wrong decisions. And it's okay to give them enough rope to do that. Right? They need to learn some things along the way. I always gave my children... Oh, great. One of them's in here tonight. He's going to know if I'm telling the truth or not. No patch? Is that what it is? Sorry, kids you got to put up with me. That's just the way it is. When my children made a mistake, can I put it this way? When they made a new mistake, one that they had yet to make, some kind of new problem that arose, I always gave them a verbal warning first and explained to them, this is why this is wrong. This is why you don't do that. Now, if after that they willfully disobeyed, then I would approach it differently. But try to give some grace there and some mercy to let them know that Hey, this is something you shouldn't do. Now, if they sin willfully after that, we've got to deal with it. Our children will respond well to encouragement as opposed to constant law and truth. The ultimate goal in all of this is pointing them to Jesus Christ for salvation. Godly discipline should reveal that their heart has an issue that only Christ can change. We have to go to Christ to get a new heart. And they need to know through proper obedience that I'm not right. There is a sin nature here. There's something that has to be dealt with. We want their heart so that they will give their heart to Christ. That's probably not the best way to word it, but you understand what I'm trying to say. That's what we're trying to do. For tonight, let's once again read verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, 
that thou mayest live long on the earth. Verse 2 can be a very difficult passage for those who have had abusive parents. And by abusive, I don't mean how children today may view it. Some children today really believe when a parent takes away their smartphone or their gaming system, they're being abused. And unfortunately, there have been children who have murdered their parents over it. That's not child abuse that I'm talking about. When I say abuse, I mean things like being beaten black and blue, being molested, being prostituted. We've read many stories in the news of parents who have kept their kids in dog kennels. This kind of a thing. I'm talking about abuse that's a crime. You with me? How do abused children reckon verse number two? Well, I'm going to give you my opinion. Lately when I've been doing that, that's not been too good. So give me some grace, okay? I'm going to give you my opinion and I'll probably rock the boat in the process. But you can either help stabilize things or get out and swim. Now, according to Strong's Concordance, the Greek word for honor here means to prize, to fix a valuation upon, by implication, to revere. It's the same Greek word that is translated value when the chief priest valued Christ for 30 pieces of silver. So it's a, it's, it's an evaluation of someone. How much uh, price you put upon it. In Webster's 1828 dictionary, honor, like we find used in our context, is defined as revere, to respect, to treat with deference and submission, and perform relative duties too. And I love the 1828 dictionary for a number of reasons. But he does a wonderful job of defining the various ways to apply honor. And if you have one, I'd recommend you look at that sometime. Because when he defines honor to God, he states this. To reverence, to manifest the highest veneration for in words and actions, to entertain the most exalted thoughts of, to worship, to adore. Sometimes this verse ends up being taught in such a way that it's as if we almost sweep under the rug all the sins of an abusive parent. And I think sometimes we do an injustice to the Word of God. Some parents can commit some awful atrocities against their children. And the way sometimes I think this is taught is it leaves children who come out of that kind of home to feel, to feel terrible that they don't love their parents, honor their parents to a degree that people say that they should. And they start to feel ashamed because they're not bestowing this great honor upon their abusive parents. When a person does some horrible thing, like I've mentioned, when a person does that, we don't honor that person. Now stay with me, okay? We don't look at somebody who's outside of the family, somebody who has molested a child and go, man, I, I just need to honor you. We, we don't do that. We don't, we don't hold them in high esteem. The Bible's clear. We are to separate from those who do such things. Jesus was absolutely clear with how He felt about those who would offend a child. In Matthew 18, 6. 
He said, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's pretty clear. To offend means you cause a child to be entrapped or to trip by putting a stumbling block in front of them. And abusive parents, the abuse that can be dealt to children, is a key way that children have a stumbling block put before them. They grow up questioning how a loving God could ever allow that to happen. They're scarred. And if Jesus is this serious about it, then why are we led? We are to elevate those who do such things to a high place. Jesus certainly isn't suggesting that we bestow upon them high praise like we would for someone who is godly. So how do we approach verse 2? Well, go to Matthew 18. The chapter from the verse I just quoted. Matthew 18. And if you see no reason for this lesson right now, then God bless you. But I'm telling you, if we could pull the curtain back, it's amazing how much abuse is in the church. Those who have come out of it. And I just want to try to be a help tonight. Matthew 18, in verses 5 through 10. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom offenses, uh, by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off or cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. As I quoted a moment ago, Jesus says it's better for a millstone to be tied about his neck and cast into the depths of the sea to drown. When after that, Jesus says, But woe unto that man by whom the offense cometh. In other words, judgment is pronounced upon that man. And it's interesting that right after that, Jesus talks about severing that which causes offense. Our hands, our feet, our eyes are those things that are precious to us. Sometimes those things are relationships which need to be severed. So that we can experience victory. We can go on and and have victory and sometimes we have to sever some things. We see in verse 14 that it's not God's will for a child to perish. It says, even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus seeks to save those who have gone astray through offenses. Whatever the offense may be. And actions which are not God's will should not be valued. Let's take note of how we ought to deal with things in verses 15 through 17, and we'll keep going here. 
Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. When someone does sin against us, we're to seek reconciliation. That's the first thing we should try to do. We are to go to them, talk about it, in hopes that we can have a relationship restored. But if that doesn't work, then we are to take witnesses with us and go again and seek for reconciliation. If that still doesn't work, we are to bring the matter before the church. And if they refuse to hear the church, then we are to mark them as a heathen and a publican. But the lesson isn't over in how to deal with those who cause offense and commit trespass. Look at verses 21 and 22. Leave it up to Peter, amen. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven When we are hurt by those who commit sin against us, no matter how horrendous, we are to find forgiveness for them. I know that's easier said than done. That's what the Bible's teaching here. And then Jesus, he gives a parable here to teach us a valuable life lesson. Look with me in verses 23 through 35. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him into the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. As this chapter flows, and as we consider it in light of those who abuse others, The meaning is we are to forgive those who caused the offense. And then, and this is what you really kind of need to get, not only do we offer forgiveness, but then we are to leave it up to God to handle the matter. God is to take over the judgment and the punishment. We don't take that into our own hands. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The warning from verse 25 is clear. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, 
If ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So back to Ephesians 6, 2. In light of Matthew chapter 18, how do we deal with parents which have been abusive in the worst of ways? How are we supposed to honor those who are less than honorable? Well, this is my opinion. We do not act as though the sin never happened. But we still seek for reconciliation. We extend forgiveness and then we trust God with the judgment. And again, this is just my opinion, but I think by doing that, we are honoring those who are otherwise not deserving of honor. They are honored by us not taking matters into our own hands and that we are trusting God for the rest. You can agree with that or you can disagree with that. By doing so, the one who was abused keeps bitterness from taking root in the heart. Because that's what ends up happening when we don't learn to forgive. Bitterness takes root. But in no way do I believe we're supposed to turn a blind eye to those who commit such abuse just because they fall into the category of family. Nor do I believe people are supposed to continue in that environment. Sometimes we can only honor them by just simply turning them over to God. Now that's my opinion on a very difficult subject. I'm open for advice and teaching. Amen. But that was given to you from experience of talking to those who have been through that kind of environment. If you're one who is struggling with an abusive past... I would recommend you meditate upon 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12, which says this. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Let God deal with it. Let God deal with it. Don't take matters into your own hands. It's a very difficult situation. If you come out of that, I'm sorry that you've had to go through such hurt. But I want you to understand, based off, off of what we read in Matthew 18, 14, it was not the will of God for that to happen to you. Jesus said, it is not the will of my heavenly Father that you should be treated in such a way. Understand, we live in a sin-sick world. And because of that, we have all kinds of issues going on. And it's going to manifest itself. Trust that God will enable you to overcome it all. And as difficult as, as it is, if there are any decent qualities, you try to appreciate those things. As much as possible, try to speak kindly of them. Pray for them and give them the gospel. Show them the mercy that God has showed you. Now, I think sometimes we miss the spirit of the law when we become letter of the law people. 
there is a spirit of the law. Now, let's return to Ephesians 6 and verse 2. Let me try to give you this passage in context. The context is, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When I started this chapter, I mentioned how I believe that there are some expectations built into the text. For example, this letter is written to the believers in Ephesus. It is written to those parents who should be in the Lord. And I gave you that line because it's understood from the text that no parent who loves the Lord is going to command their child to do something that is illegal, immoral, or unethical. That we wouldn't do that to begin with as God-fearing parents. I believe that's kind of built into the thinking here. And I would likewise tell you that verse 2, overall in context... Uh, of a, is, is of a proper and godly upbringing. I think that's the scene in which we're looking at here. We are not talking about those who are abused. We're not talking about those who have been mistreated in the worst of ways, okay? In context here, we're talking about children obeying parents that are giving them lawful commands, godly commands, growing up in an environment that is quote-unquote normal. That's kind of the understanding here. And with that in mind, I go back to Webster's 1828 dictionary definition. Parents should be revered. They should be respected. They should be treated with deference and submission. And they should be doing the duties relative to that. Parents should be prized and they should be valued. Verse 2 is not a suggestion. It is also a command, just like verse 1. Verse 1 says, children obey. Verse 2 says, honor your mother and father. In fact, it's the fifth commandment out of the ten. It's a command. And just a quick note here, verse 1 and 2 go hand in hand. If a child doesn't obey you, then how in the world are they ever going to honor you? And if they don't honor you, why are they going to want to obey you? It goes together. I can remember back when I was more rebellious than at other times. My dad would say, you may not like me right now, but you will respect me. I don't know if any of you ever had that talk. I was made to respect my dad. Some might say, well, that's not really respect then. I don't know if it was or not, but it made me respect my dad. It may depend on how you define the word respect, I guess. I know this. The way he meant it was You're going to obey whether you like it or not. My dad was saying to me, you're going to respect my position in this house. And if you don't, there's the door. My dad was going to be honored as the head of our home, period. I guess it's similar to respecting the office, even if you didn't respect the man in the office. Another thing he made crystal clear was, you may disrespect me, but you will never disrespect your mother. This is the lesson I've made with my children. You don't get to talk back to mama. Nothing will set me off quicker than seeing one of my kids sass mom. I'm telling you, I will thrust my kid into the room and I will put them against the wall and I will put my finger in their chest and say, in no uncertain terms, you do that again, you're out of here. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Nobody disrespects mom. Don't you let your child come up in your home and be disrespectful. 
You're the parent. Act like it. Amen, preacher. You let them know you drop them like a bag of dirt. I'll put the fear of God into them over that one. And here's the reason why. One day, and especially I'm talking about boys, they're going to get bigger than mama. They're going to get stronger than mama. And daddy may be deployed. And when mama says it, they better listen. It, they have to learn that it doesn't matter if your strength exceeds another. There's positions of authority you just deal with. Amen. Well, amen. I might be old school, but it's the right school. Amen. They don't get to treat their mother in a disrespectful manner. She's the one who labored to bring them into the world. Adrian didn't even use medicine. That's pretty hardcore right there. I let her just chew on a stick. <laughs> Worked just fine. <laughs> Amen, Shug. Not to mention all the feedings, all the diaper changes, all the other sacrifices which come with raising children. But I also want my children to know that mom and dad are unified. Amen. And that's critically important. Kids are not to pit parent against parent. You're to be unified. And if mom says it, it's as if dad said it. And if somebody disrespects mom, it's as if they disrespected dad. Amen. Now, this is a principle those of you in the military know all too well. If the commander gives the command and it makes its way all the way down and you disrespect it, you just disrespected the command where it came from. Everybody with me? It's the same thing in our homes. We got to make sure that if you give the command and your wife gives it to those kids, it's as if you gave it. And I emphasize that because in most situations, my children won't say half the things they would say to mom. Right? I mean, I can just look at them. Yes, sir. Um, but that's just the way it is. They like to push buttons. Not Levi. He's, he's perfect. <laughs> so let them know you're unified. Honor thy father and mother. We are one flesh. And so you can't hurt the one without hurting the other. And some 14-year-old kid isn't going to bow up against their mother. I picked 14 because none of my kids are 14 right now. So you couldn't have to go, oh, he's talking about this kid. Just because mom is now weaker than their child physically doesn't mean they get to get away with it. Don't have one of these homes where a child can get away with acting one way towards mom and another way towards dad. If they wouldn't act that way to dad, then they don't get to act that way towards mom. Now, if your child has started being willfully dishonoring and disrespectful to you, then they have taken their first steps down the broad way which leads to hell if there's been no salvation. If they are saved, then they're on the path of judgment for their life. Proverbs 30, 17 says, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagle shall eat it. You're heading for judgment. And I think overall this command here in context is to children as they are being raised in the home, so not only are they to revere and respect you, but going back to Webster's definition, they are to treat you with deference and submission. In other words, they are to yield themselves to you as the higher law. They are to give way to your opinions and your judgments. They need to recognize your wisdom and give place to your counsel. 
If you say that this boy or that girl or these friends are not good for you, they need to understand that you have their best interests in mind and that they don't need to go further in that relationship. Are they going to sneak around and learn the hard way sometimes? Yes. Many of us did those things. But we still give the command nonetheless. We need, they need to learn to understand that we've been there and done that. That even though I look pitiful today, I once was pretty cool. <laughs> Not really. They need to conform to your standards. They need to perform relative responsibilities to you. They honor you by doing those things you tell them to do. Right? Without the huffing, without the mumbling under their breath, without the stomping away, without the slamming, without the closing of the cabinets too hard, without the messing up the dishwasher. I know nothing about this is what I hear. (laughs) They need to do what you tell them. That's how they honor you. Amen. And just like obedience in verse 1, all of this is to teach us to honor the highest authority, and that is God. Malachi 1.6 says, A son honoreth his father. Now, let me give you real quick the background. God is giving his indictment against the house of Judah. And he says in Malachi 1.6, A son honoreth his father. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? You see, God just had it to where it was understood that a, a, a child would give their parent honor. And God says, where's my honor? And so we teach our child to honor mom and dad because when all is said and done, we hope that they're honoring God. It builds upon it. Now, even though I think the text here primarily addresses children in the home, honoring mother and father goes beyond just our time in the home. We are to honor them all the days of their life. And even more so as they grow older and are unable to care for themselves as they used to. Listen to how Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes in Mark 7 verses 10 through 13. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say... If a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, which means it was something that was consecrated to the temple treasury, this money. Uh, if, If you say it is Corban, that is to say a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered." Now, the sense there is the religious leaders wanted money. We know the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes and the council, they they were desirous of money. And their intent here was if one tried to say, if they came looking for money, and if one tried to say, I have this set aside to take care of my aging parents... They would then tell the child and say, if you'll give this gift to the treasury of the temple, then you're free from having to further honor your mother and father. 
they would say, you don't have to suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother. So if you'll just say this money belongs to God, then you don't have to take care of your parents. And in so doing, Jesus said, you are making the commandment of God of none effect. You are saying that you are now free from honoring your mother and father because you've given all your money to the church. The temple, excuse me. How sad is it when a parent who has more than capable children are left to die off in poverty with no help and no assistance? We need to care for our elderly parents. That's what the Bible teaches. We need to remember how they cared for us. You see, we think we just move out and we're done. Not according to the Bible. You still do what you can for them. You may not have the money. God understands that. But if you have the wherewithal, James says, don't just say be warm and filled and go about your way, but do something about it. And so if you have parents that are still alive and they need help, and you have the means to do it, help them. And to further prove this, that parents... And grandparents ought to be taken care of. I believe we can make this application from 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8, even though it's talking about widows. Listen to what it says. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents. For that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The Bible says if you don't take care of your, your widowed mom, your widowed grandmother, you've denied the faith. Is this new to everybody's ears or is everybody okay? You're worse than an infidel, the Bible says. God expects for children to raise up and take care of those who once took care of them. Now, that passage goes on to say the qualifications for when you take a widow in. There's a certain age, there's certain qualifications. Uh, One of them we did read. There has to be um, desolate. There has to be nobody left. And so, listen, y'all should know my heart. I believe very strongly we give to the widows. We give more to the the widow missionaries than we do to the missionaries. And I think we need to take care of widows. Amen. But understand the principle tonight that we need to honor our mother and our father. We have to care for our our parents. And back to Ephesians 6, we see that there are blessings upon the children for honoring their parents. And I'll make this quick and end here. It says in verses 2 and 3, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. This command is called the first command with promise. In Exodus 20, 12, the Bible says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The promise is clear enough. I don't think we have to expound it any further. But you'll be blessed in this life if you honor your mother and your father. The Bible's clear that if we don't, 
there will be curses. Exodus 21, 17 says, And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Leviticus 20 and verse 9 says, For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or he hath cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. Proverbs 20, 20 says, Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. So are you honoring your mother and father today? It's the first commandment with promise. The Bible says if you'll do that, you'll be blessed. That you may live long upon the earth. And then second to that, I would ask in closing, do your children honor you? Are they honoring you? Teach your children the blessings of honoring you. Let them know this verse. You honor me? The Bible says you can live long upon the earth. Amen. Give them the word of God. And let them know the blessings that that are involved in that. Now, we obviously don't have time to get into verse 4. So we'll, we'll stop there tonight. Let's pray.